0: wonderful worship music. It's really good. Uh, So just a quick announcement. We've started a new Bible study on Wednesday nights. We're studying the book of Romans. It's a very important book full of rich theology and Christian doctrine, if you really want a foundation in Christian doctrine, and um, especially who you are in Christ. Romans... Five through eight are probably the most powerful chapters in the Word of God for helping us understand how to live by God's grace and not in condemnation. I'm excited about that. So that's on uh, Wednesday night at 6.30. Um, So last Sunday, just really quick, I talked about waiting on God in silence, and I issued a challenge. Did anyone try it? anyone try it? Okay, 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 good, all right, good. I I didn't see any hands. Would anyone like to share just briefly about how that went? I can bring the mic to you, or you can come up here, either one. Uh, Did God speak to you? Did you you find it beneficial? What happened? Anybody want to share? All righty, You're still waiting in silence, I take it. <laughs> yes, here we go. Thank you, Jean. I don't know if he's called Ben, but he's being falling. Yes, yes. Whenever we're walking, you know that old hen um I go to the garden alone? He walks and talks with me. And that's the way it works in my life. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. All right. Anyone else? That's good, Jean. Anyone else? Any testimony of anything amazing that God has done in your life this past week or recently? Okay. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I, I, I like to start out my time with God in the morning, just sitting in silence and listening, but it also is a lifestyle for me, and um I have found as i'm being more challenged uh, you know as I come up against the enemy the more I find that the more i um really get involved in kingdom work, the enemy doesn't like it. And so as I'm more and more challenged, I'm finding the need to maintain a lifestyle of listening all day. And so don't take this as this is what you must do. This is what I must do. This is what faith has come to in her life. I'm just, I'm, I'm losing my appetite for noise of any kind. And this is relatively uh, new for me. I mean, my dad always challenged me growing up, especially as a teenager. I always had music going, and he would say, you need to learn, you need to practice the art of silence. You're never going to hear God's voice if you don't learn to appreciate silence. So he instilled that into me, but I'm finding right now at my age, I'm really for the first time taking that more seriously than I ever have in my life. And it pays off. It's paying off. God is giving me specific direction concerning very specific things I've been praying about, and they will just come to me in the middle of the day as I'm going about my day. And because I've cleared space in my head to hear, I can hear a lot easier. It's like taking the earplugs out. So anyway, um, okay. Well, on this Mother's Day, I want to actually talk about women Women, all women, because God has wired into the woman uh, attributes of a mother. All women, whether you have born children or not, or had children or adopted children or not, God has wired into the woman um, attributes of a mother. We have the capacity to nurture and to feel and to intuit in ways that men just don't. And so... I want to honor women this morning with a message titled, Women in the Bible Who Should Have Failed, But They Didn't, Because God. But please, if you are not a woman this morning, this message is also for you. There is a very loud and clear message for you because by all human standards, a lot of us in life should have failed, and the devil would want us to believe that even that we will fail. But God has a different message. So let's look at the lives of these three women because they apply to all of us, male and female. I'm just going to quickly run through the lives of three women and what happened to them, women in the Bible who should have failed by all human standards. The first one comes from Judges 4, and her name is J.L. Has anyone ever heard of J.L.? We have a friend in Switzerland Uh, by this name, and I prefer that pronunciation. It's Yael, which I think is more beautiful. But uh, Jael, let me tell you about her in case you don't know the story. I'll give you the backstory. This happened in the time of Israel before there were kings, and so Israel was ruled by judges, and the judge at this time in Jael's life was a woman named Deborah, She had quite the position, not only was she, she would have been the equivalent of like the the chief justice of Israel, but she was also a military commander, she would have been like the commander in chief, and she was a prophetess, okay? So the chief justice, the commander in chief, and the prophetess in Israel, she was the top leader in Israel at this time. But there was a problem, an ongoing problem. It says that at this time, Israel had been harshly oppressed for 20 years by the king of Canaan, a pagan nation. It says that he had 900 chariots of iron. Israel, they had taken Israel's weaponry and means to make it, so Israel had nothing. And the king of Canaan had 900 chariots of iron and he had harshly terrorized and oppressed Israel for 20 years. And the name of his commander in chief of his army was a guy named Sisera. So one day God speaks to Deborah because she's a god-fearing woman and she hears God's voice and God gives Deborah some instructions which she then takes to her command her general of her of the Israelite army a guy named Barak. Or Barak, however you want to pronounce it, B-A-R-A-K. Deborah goes to him, and she commands him to deploy 10,000 troops and go against this king of Canaan and finally deal with him. And she says, the Lord has told me, Barak, that he is going to deliver, to deliver Canaan into your hands. You're going to win this battle, and this 20 years of oppression is going to be over. God has told me. But what does he do? He's, I don't know what his problem was, seems kind of cowardly, but he said, I don't want to go unless you go with me. (laughs) So here's the army general, not willing to go out to battle unless he brings this woman, Deborah, with him. Kind of like that story. And I have to wonder, what did people think who didn't know the backstory? There she goes. (laughs) What's she doing? Going out to battle, who does she think she is? I don't know. It makes me wonder what they thought of her. <laughs> you know, but she was just doing what she had to do cuz he didn't want to go by himself. And so she said to him, "Okay, I will go with you, but you need to know that if I will go with you, you will not get the glory for winning this battle. The glory is going to go to a woman, not me, another woman." All right, he was okay with that. So they went to battle. And the Lord handed the army of Canaan into Barak's hands. And he won that battle. Meanwhile, Sisera, the army general, escaped on foot. It said he jumped down out of his chariot and he fled on foot. And he comes to his buddy Heber's tent. Now he has a friend named Heber. And Heber, Heber, however you pronounce that, how do you pronounce that? How do you pronounce it? Old Dave? Expert of the Old Testament? <laughs> what you got? Is it Heber? Sounds strange. Heber is a traitor. He has made an alliance, a secret alliance with uh, the king of Canaan, and he is now his spy. And he has gone, and he has told the king, hey, this is where Barak is bringing his army. This is, this is where he is. And, and uh, he's a real traitor because he was actually a relative of Moses' in-laws, it says. And so he reports Barak's location to the enemy. But you see, Heber has a wife, and she's a good woman, and she fears God. And her name is Jael. And so Sisera, are you with me? The the captain of the army of the Canaanites, he is fleeing on foot because he has been defeated. It says that God routed the enemy and and Israel won, but now he's fleeing on foot. So the only place he knows to go is to his friend, the traitor, Heber, and he comes to his tent. But Heber's not home. The only person home is Jael. She sees this man coming to her tent. You have to understand, this would be the equivalent of the top general of the ISIS army. And he's at your front door because your husband's a spy for him. Your husband is a traitor. She's married to a loser. He's the worst of the worst. He's a traitor. He's working for ISIS. You need to understand this picture. And this woman opens her door, and there he is. And he's like, hide me. You know, she, she realizes he's running for his life because they've lost the battle. And what does she do? He asks her for a drink of water because he's thirsty, because he's been running through the desert. And she invites him in. And she pretends to be on his side along with her husband. And instead of giving him water, she's very cunning. She's very smart. She gives him milk, which, of course, helps put you to sleep. And she brings it, it says, in a lordly bowl. In other words, she's playing the part. I got you. (laughs) She brings it in a lordly bowl. And she covers him with a blanket and he falls into a deep sleep, and doesn't that woman go and grab a tent peg and drive it through his temple into the ground? That is a brave woman <laughs> on all counts, every part of it. I remember, uh, if you look in her story in Judges, uh, Judges 5, at the end of all this, Deborah celebrates, and she she gets wind of this, and so she sings this famous song, the song of Deborah. And uh, let me see where I can find that. I forgot my Bible today, so I'm relying on my, this very, very, uh, Deborah, Deborah. Uh, Deborah is singing this song of praise and celebration, and in her song, she celebrates J.L. and what she has done. And she says, um, uh, most blessed among women is Jael. This is Judges 5.24, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. Can you imagine this as a rap? She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her sorry. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Deborah's song. The celebration of JL, most blessed among women. She should have failed. She had every right to live as cowardly as the most cowardly person. (laughs) I mean, what do you think that would do to you if you're living with a traitor who has sided with the world's top enemy? She should have failed. She could have very easily become a woman who had succumbed to her lot in life But God used her to save her nation. And it actually says Israel had rest for 40 years because of this woman who rose up in the power and strength of God Almighty and did did the brave thing, God's strength working through her in spite of her circumstance and situation. Let me tell you about another woman, Esther. I'm sure you're familiar with her. If you're not, Mordecai, a man named Mordecai, he's the grandson of Kish, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, another enemy nation of Israel, had captured and carried away captive to Babylon. So maybe you've heard about this. King Nebuchadnezzar, wicked king, he captures the Jews and he carries them away captive in Babylon. One of the captives was a man named Kish. His grandson is Mordecai, who is now living in Persia, present-day Iran, and he's w- among the, the he's the part of the descendants of the captives of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's in captivity in Babel, in Persia now. So he's working for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, also known as Ahasuerus. And he's working there in his palace, this Mordecai. And he's a very godly man. He's a Jew, and nobody knows it. Nobody knows it because these are the enemies of his people that he's living and working among. And I won't go into all the details for the sake of time, but you can read read these. If you want to study these stories this week, I just gave you J.L. and the book of Judges, chapter 4 and 5. This Esther story is the book of Esther. It's a wonderful amazing story. So, in a nutshell, the king needs a queen because his first queen didn't work out. That's another story. So, what does he do? He sends out off officials throughout the land to find him a replacement, to find him a new queen. And so, Mordecai's cousin is a young girl named Esther, and she's an orphan. Her parents have died, and she is being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And again, they're Jews, but they are living secretly as Jews in the land of Persia. And she gets selected and captured, and again now she's taken, just like her ancestors, she is captured and taken into the king's palace, to go through this long trial period to see if she would qualify to be the the queen, the new queen. It must have been really traumatic for her. You know, she's already being raised as an orphan, no mother, no father, the only person she has in the world that we know of that really cares for her is her cousin Mordecai. And now she's been wrenched from his, his arms and she's been captured and taken into the king's palace. Foreign nation, godless pagan nation. She doesn't know what's going to happen. All she knows is she's, she's a piece of material that's being inspected, examined, to see if she might become the new queen Imagine that. We don't know all the details and how how, uh, turbulent this time was for her, but I know that in Esther, uh, it says in verse, and I believe in verse 11 of chapter 1, it says her cousin Mordecai was pacing daily to learn what was happening to her. If he was pacing daily to learn what was happening to her, it must have really been something, a drastic change in her living conditions. She went through one year of preparation, including six months of myrrh, which is a burial uh, oil used in burial. I mean, every God is killing off every part of her life, it seems. Like, <laughs> everything she has left is dying, and her, she, her life has become a total sacrifice at this point. One year of preparation. <clears throat> Long story short, she's selected. It says the king favored her above all the other women, and she's chosen to be the new queen of Persia. He has no idea that his wife, his new queen, is actually Jewish. No idea. Here's another woman married to a godless pagan king, husband, living in a foreign land, taken away from her family and the only person she really knew and loved that really cared about her. And she's now living in the palace as a queen to this Persian king. And she has to keep her identity a secret because there's a man in the palace named Haman, and he's fascinating to me. I've I've been studying his life. I do believe he is the original Hitler And the spirit that worked through him was the same spirit that worked through Adolf Hitler. And so this man is extremely insecure and he can't handle it because one person will not bow to him. And that's this Mordecai, the Jew, who only bows to the one true and living God. This guy, he cannot handle it. He's fascinating to me. I'm just fascinated by Haman. This is a whole other story, but you imagine the whole entire kingdom of Persia bows and pays homage to Haman, but because this one man will not, he can't handle it. So what does he do? He he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew and he plots to annihilate, annihilate the entire Jewish race. Sound familiar? Mordecai tells his cousin Esther, his young cousin Esther, who is the queen, he reveals to her what's happening, this horrible plot of wicked Haman. And Esther realizes she's the only one that can save her people, her nation. It's in her power because she's the queen. But the problem is, if you go into the king's court if you go before his throne and if he does not hold out his golden scepter to you, you're toast. You will be executed. And she knows this, and it's been 30 days since she's been called in before the king. And I love what she says. There. There's this one point that really flies in the face of this erroneous teaching that says, you know, sometimes we mistake faith. We mistake presumption for faith. We think we call something faith, and it's just a bunch of babble and words that we don't really even truly believe in our heart. <laughs> I mean, because I, I love her honesty. She, Mordecai says to her, "Look, Esther, if you don't rise up and save your people and go in before the king and plead on behalf of your people, salvation's going to come for another play, from another place. But who knows whether or not God has called you to the kingdom for such a time as this?" And you know what she says? She says, call all the people together to fast, nothing, no water, no food for three days. Have all our people, the Jews, fast and pray for three days, and I will go in before the king. And if I perish, I perish. I love that. She voiced the very real possibility that she could die I mean, we don't know that she had a word that God was going to protect her. And that does happen. I mean, don't get me wrong. God, I believe, you know, I I believe in the prophetic and and words. I believe in the word of faith. We don't know that she had that. She said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to go. And she went before the king knowing that she was at risk of her own death. If he did not hold out the Golden Scepter and accept her before his throne to speak on behalf of her people, he did. He held out the Golden Scepter. And it's a long story. You can read about it. It's a wonderful story. There's a wonderful movie made about it called One Night with a King. It's a really good movie. She saved her people, she saved the Jewish race. But she easily could have failed. After all the things that happened to her in her life, losing her mother and father, being raised as an orphan by her cousin, living in captivity in a foreign land and a godless nation, and now she's been taken captive again, as it were, to go live in the palace with this king, this Persian king, she had every reason to cower in fear and insecurity and say, no, not me. No, no way. I've been through too much. I'm not the one. Somebody else has to do this. It's not me. She should have failed by all human standards according to her life situation and circumstance. But God she feared God. She trusted God. She knew that God was her source of strength, and that's what she leaned into. Third woman I want to mention this morning is Hannah. Her story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I've always known her story, and I know a lot of you are probably familiar with it. But I never really thought about this until recently. A lady named uh, Pastor Heather of the Assemblies of God Church in Kane, Pennsylvania. I've never even met her, but a friend of mine was telling me what she says about Hannah. She mentioned that, that um, Hannah, well, let me just tell you the story, and I'll bring in what, he- what Heather mentioned that really spoke to me. So if you don't know the backstory, Hannah is childless. She cannot bear children. She's infertile, and that was a, a, a huge reproach in this day and in this culture. So she had no children and her husband had married two wives and this happened sometimes in the Old Testament. Polygamy happened and just because it happened does not mean God condoned it. It's just there. These are honest historical accounts of what happened. So this man, Elkanah, he's married to two women. One is Hannah, who cannot bear children, and the other one is Penina, or Panina And Elkanah loves Hannah. He favors her, but the problem with Hannah is the sister wife, Penina, is brutal to her. She's horrible to her. She makes fun of her and persecutes her day in and day out. So not only does Hannah have to bear the grief Every day, the heavy burden and grief of not having children, but she's got this sister wife rubbing it in her face every single day. And her husband, he's a good man. He tries. He really loves her. He actually favors Hannah, but he doesn't really get it. And he sees her all sad one day, and he says to her, babe, am I not better to you than 10 sons? come on. He tried. He didn't get it. (laughs) So not only is she misunderstood by her loving husband, her clueless but loving husband, then she figures, well, if my husband doesn't understand me, maybe my pastor will. So she goes to church one day to pray, and she's sitting there praying in the temple. And her pastor, the priest Eli, he sees her praying, and she's pouring out her heart to God. She's so much in distress that she's—it says she's she she wept in bitterness of soul, and she wept in anguish. And she's praying; she's so overcome with emotion. Her pastor thinks she's drunk. He says to her, how long are you going to keep drinking? <laughs> you must be drunk. So her husband doesn't understand her, and her, her pastor falsely accuses her. She is getting no encouragement or support from anywhere. I had never really thought about that until this, this uh, pastor friend pointed that out. I thought, that, I thought, wow, if anyone should have failed in life, should have just completely given up, and left herself for dead, it should have been poor Hannah. I mean, when the two most important people in your life, your spouse and your spiritual leader, fail you, fail to understand or support or encourage you, that's really bad. That's a recipe for failure. But he did say, this priest Eli, when she explained to him that she was praying, not drunk, He said, the Lord grant your request. And God did. And she gave birth to Samuel, who became the first and probably the greatest prophet in all of Israel's history. Samuel. She should have failed. She could have easily. Time would fail me. To tell tell of Rahab, that's a direct quote from Hebrews 11. There are so many other people in the Bible, including women, who by all human standards should have and could have easily given up. I think of Rahab. You know what she was called? Rahab the harlot. How's that for a title? Rahab the harlot. She's a prostitute living in Jericho, a pagan nation, a godless nation. The two spies that Joshua sent out to spy out the land, they come to her house, and she says to them, hey, we're all in fear and trembling of your God. We know what he did. We know how he parted the Red Sea. We know how he took out the kings, these pagan kings, and... and, and you, will you you got to save me and my family promise me that you will save me because we know that your god is the one true the only one true and living god and she did a very brave thing she hid them among the flax on her roof so that when the king's officials came to her house looking for these jewish spies she was able to hide and protect them in exchange for them promising her protection when the city of jericho fell later on She was brave. She could have and should have failed because she could have very easily allowed her reputation and her past to define her, and she could have stayed stuck in that and in the end lost herself and her family. I think of Ruth, the Moabitess, a foreigner, non-Jewish. She's a widow. She's lost her husband, and she's living with her mother-in-law. That alone. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I have a good mother-in-law. I'm very blessed. But I mean, yeah, I'm no. I mean, you know, she's lost her husband. You guys can take a joke, right? She's lost her husband. She and her mother-in-law, who is also a widow. They, that is a recipe for, for disaster, for total failure. I mean, they were com- there was no promise for Ruth and Naomi, no hope of promise, no hope of making it. Read the book of Ruth. She rises above her poverty and her heritage as a Moabitess and does an amazing, brave thing. She basically asked a very powerful and wealthy man to marry her she listened to her mother-in-law. Thank you. What if she had not been willing to live with and help her mother-in-law? Very good. Yeah. I have told you about individuals who really lived in history. These are not made up. These are not legends. These are women who did not allow their failed relationships. They did not allow tragedy and grief, reputation, or their present reality and circumstance to define or hinder them from rising up and doing what God called them to do. And they did amazing things in spite of amazing difficulty. And the message for us today is that you and I, with the strength of God, if we have God in our lives, if we trust him, if we rely on him completely, we are without excuse. He can use any of us. Any single one of us, every single one of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what's happened to us matter no matter what, our, no matter what um, the details of our past speak to us, there's a higher and louder voice calling, saying, "Rise up." Deborah, in her famous song, she begins by saying, "I, Deborah, arose. I arose, a mother in Israel. What is she saying? I arose to be a spiritual mother. I, in spite of everything, in spite of the fact that I had to go out to protect this man in the heat of battle, I arose a mother in Israel. I chose to arise and be the one who will be the protector and the nurturer and the defender of truth and the valiant warrior with the Holy Spirit working through me to win battles and to overcome everything in my life that Satan would use to keep me down, I arose. Will you arise today? Let's do it. Let's literally do it. If God is speaking to you, telling you that it's okay, It's okay to leave behind the hindrances, the things that would hold you back and keep you down, that it's okay to arise up in the strength of the Lord, that he is with you, he is going to fight for you and through you, that you can live victoriously through the power of the Holy Spirit, if that's you today and you would say with me, I arose in spite of it, I arose. In spite of my lack, in spite of my loss, in spite of my grief, in spite of my fear, in spite of what I don't have or haven't had, in spite of who I've always believed I am, I am now going to reject that lie. And today, I will arise, and I will go in the strength and power of the Lord. And I will be what he wants me to be, and I will do what he wants me to do, and I will go where he wants me to go. If that's you, let's arise. And make that declaration today. Thank you, Lord. Your word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today we say, I can. I can. Would you say that with me? I can, I can, I can, I can do all things. I can do all things. Every single thing that Satan has tried to convince me that I can't do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today, Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift our hands to you and we receive your strength. It's your strength. It is not our own strength. Father God, I repent for trying to rely on my own failed strength. It is your strength. And Lord, together as a church and as individuals, men and women, we receive your strength today. And we thank you and we praise you that we can, if J.L. can, if Ruth can, if Rahab can, if Esther can, if Hannah can, if Paul and Silas can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We make make this declaration before you today, Lord, and we thank you and praise you. Lord, I pray for a renewal of strength on every single person standing here today. Renewed strength, renewed vigor for life, a quickening of the mortal bodies, quickening of spirit and soul and mind, And emotions, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God, that your word is more powerful, more powerful than any word spoken on this earth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus, we pray and we say, amen. Amen. You may be dismissed. Go in the strength of the Lord.